0: the questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth.
1: Welcome to Veritas.
0: Tonight, gear up for an eye-opening adventure into the intriguing realms of intuition, signs, and synchronicities as we welcome an expert in these fields, Lillianne Fortna. Her powerful book, Winks from Above, Opening Up to Signs and Synchronicities to Receive Little Miracles Each Day, has struck a chord with readers around the globe. Lillian will lead us on a deep exploration of communicating with guides and angels, offering practical wisdom on how to embrace the signs and synchronicities that shape our lives. Her compelling stories unveil the hidden potential and support available to each one of us, ready to be acknowledged and celebrated. In our fast-paced world, it's easy to overlook the subtle messages from the universe. But Lillian reminds us that we are always receiving guidance whether we're aware of it or not. Tonight, she invites us to live each day with conscious knowing, unlocking the door to endless possibilities that await. As we dive into winks from above, Lillianne's insights will empower us to better comprehend and decipher the clues and messages that envelop us. We'll gain practical tips to deepen our connection with our highest sources of guidance, building trust in our intuition and communicating with the unseen realm. So let us take this moment to pause, to listen, And to tune in as we explore the fascinating secrets of serendipity and how embracing the subtle miracles in our lives can lead us to a path of heightened awareness, inner peace, and a profound sense of grace. Get ready to be inspired by Liliane's wisdom as she reminds us that we are never alone. The universe continually whispers its guidance, and through winks from above, we'll unlock the transformative power of embracing signs and synchronicities, crafting a life filled with extraordinary possibilities.
1: Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including Focused Life Force Energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hastelrick.
2: Her website is wingsfromabove.com, and directly from Charlottesville. Virginia. I would like to welcome Lillian Fortner. Hello, Lillian, and welcome to Veritas. May I call you Lillian
3: Lillian is perfect. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having
2: me, May. My pleasure. My pleasure. I just finished the book this afternoon, and, and as I mentioned to you offline, I feel like I, I know you inside and out. But let's begin with your story. You were born in Hanoi, Vietnam during a time of political turmoil and You were sent to live with your grandmother in Brittany, France, at a very young age. Can you share more about how this early separation from your parents shaped your childhood and and your connection with the unseen world?
3: Well, um, the way it shaped not only my childhood, but me later as a teenager and a young adult, is the fact that uh, my grandmother accepted to... um, take care of me because in Vietnam, there was a lot of turmoil. and But my parents did not think it would last forever. So they thought maybe to send me to live with her for a couple of years. And then I could go back to Vietnam. And <laughs> as you know, <laughs> it never stops. So I never came back to Vietnam until much, much, much later to just to visit for one month. Um, so, um, yes, my grandmother... Accepted to take care of me, but she really didn't like me at all. I don't think she liked many people anyway. She was a person who was very much in pain um, because her life started as a wonderful, very privileged life, but things happen, and when I met her, she was she was absolutely miserable with no money, um, nothing. So um she was very, very mean to me. She would hit me for nothing. She would prevent me from eating, drinking. She would—I was not allowed to play with other children um, or talk to other children, except in school. But even in school, sometimes she had me stay in the dining hall because she didn't want me to interact with the other kids. So it was—it was a very different. Life And because I'm not 100 percent white and I, I tan very easily in summer, uh, people in the village, especially other kids, would taunt me with a bad name, etc. So it was it was not an easy childhood, but I had a wonderful location. The house was uh built just above the sea just above the beach and on the other side of the road was the woods so i was alone but not really because i had the sea i had the woods and all the inhabitants all the birds the insects everything i talked to trees i talked to everything um, so I was never bored. There was always something fascinating to find either on the beach or in the woods. And that's really what shaped my early childhood until I was nine and until I went to a boarding school in, near Paris. But then what happened is that I still maintained that connection with I would say the other side, the other side of the veil, because uh, that's how I would communicate with spirit of nature, uh, spirit guides. I would talk to my angel. Um, so um, what, I, what I want to say is that when I turn into my teenagehood, um, I discovered art, painting, music, literature, and writing. And I fortunately and it's in my book had two teachers who came towards me and helped me to 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 further my studies in those different uh, art forms and art to me brought solace to my to my soul to my heart, to my mind just like uh, nature would it would it would uh, I would feel very comfortable around art and it would really, Helped me to go through life at that time. Um, I didn't have many friends, but I would go to concert. I would write. I would uh, I would I would go to museums. Of course, in Paris, the Louvre became my second home. I was there every Sunday because it was a free it was a free entry on Sundays, um, etc. So it was just fantastic for me. But deep inside, um, there was anger. But anger could be soothed when I was I was doing an art form, or I was uh, I was going to the museum, going to a concert. It would help me. But I was angry inside, angry at what happened when I was a child, because back then I could compare with the life of other uh, um, children who had a very very different life from me. So so yeah, I was angry, and that continued for quite a while, but nobody would have known. I was hiding it so well. Um, and I kept that for a long time until I had a depression, very serious depression.
2: And you did and not have I computers never- at the time. You didn't have a TV that where you could watch and compare yourself to other children at the time.
3: You're right. The first time I saw, I watched a TV, I must have been 10. And and then in boarding school, it was once a week for one hour. <laughs> But I had no. I had books, and in books, then I discovered a lot because with books you can choose where you want to live for the next few days, or what family you want to live with, which continent, etc. So via literature, I would discover a lot of other ways of living. Uh, so that was very important to me. But also talking with other children, uh, that was. Uh, You know, I discovered a lot of what I did not know.
2: You had a near-death experience at a very young age when your grandmother nearly strangled you. How did this traumatic event impact your life and your ability to connect with the unseen
3: world? Yes, and, and also another time where I drowned. I do remember very clearly drowning um and and uh i remember going up and down and what i would see so what i did i, I did not finish to explain what i did uh, regarding narrating stories of my very young childhood i just did not want to invent things that were not real or embellished so what at night i would simply ask my guides to um, to to take me back to uh that time so i could see i could understand i could ask questions and i would write down um the answers so i was able to get more information and i feel that it was more accurate because i really did not want to embellish or, or make it more dramatic no that was not the point but just to tell a story that i am sure other people can relate with
2: and wings from above Aside from the obvious, why did you think of putting that title on your book?
3: <laughs> because I'm a happy person in general. I think despite the fact that uh, I had the childhood I had, I was born happy because I was able to to look around me and, and, and find what made me happy, nature in general. But uh, I chose that title because winks makes me smile you know it's something it's something positive it's something that makes me smile there is almost something childish and that's why I chose that word because wings it's not as it doesn't sound quite as heavy or serious there is something a little bit of playfulness with the word so wings from from above is about all the little signs, all of the little things I get throughout the day um, that are, to me, they are wings from above. You know, it could be a sound, it could be a color, it could be a number that I see again and again and again. It could be uh, an event happening. It could be opening a book uh, at a page where it has information that I just need because I'm thinking about something and, oh, well, I'm, I'm finding some uh, a chapter that is perfect. So there are lots of things like that happening and I call them wings because it's playful. And in my book I talk about the importance of um remaining in touch with the child within. It is very, very important. Um, and oftentimes we don't, you know, we we grow up and we, we don't know about the child within. I think it's important.
2: I think you're going to like the promotional image that we created for this interview. It's a little child, obviously in Europe, on top of the building, looking at the stars and a wink up in the heavens. So you're going to like that ah. when you see it. Now, how did oh. you manage to cultivate such a profound sense of love and compassion, despite the lack of it in your early life?
3: Well, I think it was there because quite early actually in my life I wanted to help others and maybe I'm that way because of what I went through I just did not want others to go through that you see so if I can help I'm very happy and with my book now I'm very happy to hopefully help a lot a lot of people to be able to see signs uh, understand them, interpret them, and uh, use them in their daily life because they're there for 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 a reason. It's simply to help them, help us, or to go through life um, with more ease.
2: You've also experienced some health issues in your life, and is this how you discovered that you had spirit guides helping you?
3: Yes, well. The very first time I had a serious health problem was when just before I became a healer, I um, I was asked to become a healer by the healer I would see um, at least once a year. He would be like my doctor, I would see him to um, to help me stay healthy. And he asked me uh, very early on, or he suggested that maybe I should also become a healer like you, he, like he is. And he would test me, and um, he said, "You see, you can do it." And I was, I felt very uneasy with that. On one hand, I felt very, it was a compliment, so you know, it was very nice. But uh, I would think of my grandmother. She had capabilities, I know that, I've seen that several times, but she would use the capabilities she had to do bad things. Um, One, I remember that was very shocking for a child. Um, I was not allowed to see my grandfather. I never met him. I actually died when I was 18, but I never met him. And she would always say horrible things about him. And I saw him Um, she found a picture of him. So she called me and then she said, oh, look. And she had that weird um, laugh, you know, a mean laugh. It was not normal. And then she took a pair of scissors and she would gradually cut parts of his body. Or she took a needle, she pierced his eyes and things like that. I mean, I was a young child. And... It seems, it seems, it was very scary for me. It was not something that I realized it was not something normal. And because she was doing things like that, it scared me later on when uh, there was a talk about me becoming a healer. Thank God I had seen how healers do work because our neighbor was a healer. So I spent a lot of time. In his kitchen, because that's where he would receive people. At the time, there was nothing special. It was just, you receive people, you use olive oil from uh, from your kitchen if you have to do a massage. You know, it was very simple. And nobody brought, I mean, paid with money. People brought the chicken, maybe a bottle of wine, some fruits, veggies, etc. So I saw our healer worked. He was never touching anybody, just hovering his hands over the body that uh, that was affected. Um, so I, I remember him. I liked what he did, but I also remembered my grandmother. So for me there was I just did not feel comfortable with starting in that direction because I was afraid I had a mean streak in me inherited from my grandmother and I could once you learn, you know how to manipulate energy. You can you can use it in a very positive way, like it should be. But you could also use it in a negative way, and I was very afraid. So it's it's only later that I accepted. But in the meantime, I was asked twice, and uh, within ten years, and uh, each time it was a no. I am not going to do that. The third time. I was asked is when I became very, very, very ill. And my healer reminded me that most certainly the reason. So the third time I accepted and eventually uh, I took, um, I worked with a shaman, I worked with another healer. I mean, I studied with uh, different people to learn uh, the techniques, the different techniques. So that's that's how I... I learned to become a healer.
2: This is a healer that lived down the road from you. Can you share some specific practices or or techniques that you learned from this healer that you've incorporated into your own healing work?
3: Oh, yes, yes. Well, first of all, the attitude. Uh, He was not doing it for money. He was using natural things that he learned. Um, And it was inherited from his mother. Oftentimes the traditional healers in France or in Europe uh, are people who received uh, their teaching, I mean their their uh, tutoring from a parents, maybe your grandmother or a mother or someone like that. The other The other uh, teacher I had was the same he learned from his mother. So there is not really a technique. you use energy and you learn different techniques around that. Uh, You can use stones, you use, of course, energy with your hands, but uh, um, you can use colors, you can use all kinds of things that you can add. But there is not really a school. Now, when I came to the States, I was asked, which technique do I use? Because people want a name. (laughs) And I I said, well, I'm an energy healer. traditions are from france actually the celtic region of france so i was a bit tired of it and i said okay i'm going to do reiki so (laughs) so uh, i'm a reiki uh, master and teacher and i did that so i can say well yes i do reiki and i practice um uh, traditional uh, energy healing it's a bit like Reiki but so it allows me to do what I usually do but people understand that it's similar to Reiki
2: but this healer Mr hmm? D Mr D you're the, the healer that you met he helped yes, you oh. he helped you heal a malady that you had in about five days am I right
3: yes and and I had that for several months at the time. And my husband was traveling. He was in Pakistan at the time. So he was gone for at least five weeks. And I was sick for four, five months. The doctors could not find out what I had. And I had mononucleosis and a lung infection. And both of them were so tiring. I was by myself. I had to figure out what what to do. And the doctors gave me antibiotics and other antibiotics. Nothing would work. It's only when I saw my healer. So I knew that this type of illness was different. And oftentimes in this type of world, you get ill because it's, you have to pay attention to something a little bit different than just, just your, your health. It's a, it's a, it shows you that there is something extremely important. Because you did not get it before, then it becomes stronger, and it was really, real bad. I mean, (laughs) uh, mononucleosis, uh, when you're older, it's, uh, it's a strange illness. It's supposed to be for young people. And lung infection, I don't even smoke or I'm around smokers or anything. So all that was very strange. And that's when I understood, yeah, okay, well, (laughs) I'll do it. I'll become a healer. And uh, now I understand I don't have to be like my grandmother. But it took me a while to just clean that thought out of of my mind because I was still very uncomfortable with what I saw.
2: Where was your healer when I needed him at the age of 16 when I got mononucleosis, which was so bad, I I still remember. That was so bad.
3: Oh, it's it's horrible, isn't it? You're so tired.
2: Yes, for for months.
3: You yeah, you can't function. I mean, it's it was it's so bad. Yeah. Well, there are healers like that who who can work and uh, and really, yeah. It took it took him five days, and I was back on track.
2: Wow, five days! Now, in your book, you share a deeply personal and and I, I'm sure you don't mind because you discuss this in the book. But you were told that your mother had died in the 50s during the French War in Vietnam. But you discovered that this was not true and that she was alive and living in Marseille, France. And this discovery came during the time when you were living in, a different, in different countries across Europe and Asia. So can you share more about this moment when you discovered that your mother was still alive? And how did this revelation impact you? And what, what was your reaction when you met her for the first time since you parted ways in 1950?
3: Well, first of all, uh, to not have a mother, I noticed it was a bit difficult when I was a teenager because there were questions I had. The nuns were very good. I have to say they were very nice, as open-minded as a nun can be. Um, but we could talk about a lot of things. But still, there were lots of little things I would want. I would have wanted to ask Um you know, an aunt or, well, a mother. Um, And I know, uh, you know, other girls had mothers and they would talk about it. And for me, it was something so strange because I never had one. Uh, So when um, my dad discovered that she was still alive because he was still doing some search periodically, one thing he had not told me Uh, is that he had divorced her. What he told me and what I knew all along is that she had disappeared during the war and maybe she was dead. That's all I knew. But he actually had divorced her because she had a child with somebody else, my sister, whom I met in the 90s. Um, And so that's all I knew. But for me, it was still via the Red Cross, trying to find out if she was still alive when there was something, you know, like the boat people, et cetera, he was, he was looking around. Amazingly, when she retired, she was in France since the 1960s, so when I was a uh, young teenager, but she never contacted uh, me. And I understand, as a, as a Vietnamese woman, I understand why. So that's okay. No, no, no hard feeling there. But um, it was it was strange when I found out my mother was alive because I went through my life dealing with that. OK, I don't have a mother. I never have a mother, etc. And I was comfortable with the whole thing. Then I had to face again the fact that, no, you have a mother and go back to a situation that was not necessarily very uh, pleasant to me um i mean to find a mother should be a pleasant thing i never had a mother it was something very strange to me but anyway we were in japan at the time and i called her for new year's eve she was spending time in paris with my sister i mean uh, who's three years younger than me his other daughter their older daughter and um uh, when i I heard a voice. My husband said, "You were white, totally white, livid." Because to me, it was it was so strange. I thought she had died, and suddenly there was her voice on the other side. <laughs> you know, she was in France. I was in in Japan at the time. Um, was it in? Yeah, I was in Japan. Uh, then we decided that we would meet the following uh, summer. So I went with my son two friends, to visit her in Marseille. And uh, she had uh, three other children. So my two half-sisters wrote me and sent me pictures so I would recognize them. They were at the train station waiting for the train. So the train pulled in. I I noticed then. I knew it was them. But I was expecting something like you read sometimes somebody finds a child or mother or you know parents that they have never seen and uh and it's joyful it's very emotional there was absolutely nothing nothing i was and i was nothing from
2: you or nothing from her
3: no nothing from me there was no emotion nothing so I met her, and, you know, it was joyful, strange, though, to see the woman who gave birth um, and my sisters. And um, at night, it was very interesting because she's a night owl, and uh, I could ask her a lot of questions about, you know, life that I had not known and to discover more about her. So she would start describing and it was maybe 11 at night, midnight. And the first time, the first night that I was doing that, asking questions, suddenly I felt I was at the back of the room watching two women talking. I was watching my back. me, I could see my back, my head bobbing, you know, saying yes. So. And then I could see my mother. And that was an out-of-body experience, which I have periodically, but I could not understand why at the time. So I asked my guides later on, and I was told it's because it was so much to process. I had to remain blank inside, you know, not have emotions, so I could process the whole story much better than go through a lot of different emotions so but it was strange because it happened night after night after night i was with her about 10 days 10 12 days and it was a very very strange thing that happened but um I, it's it's um, it's difficult to express um she died many years later but during that time i saw her maybe three times and I was only, I was never able to say, to call her mother. I was never. It was something I couldn't say. You know, I, I wish I would, but it felt so so strange to me because I never said that word before.
2: Did she ever seek you out throughout life? If she seeked... Did she ever try to find you before you found her?
3: No, no, she never did because and i can understand that she had two daughters with somebody else and i'm not placing a judgment during the war um you just do what you have to do to survive so she she met a man um she had already my sister who was um who was my sister it's my mother and my uh godfather <laughs> So that's my half sister. So she had her. And then she met a man who said he wanted to marry her. She had two children with him. He went back to France, supposedly for a short while, but decided never to go back. So my mother was stuck. Uh, But she was a very strong woman. She came to France and sued him. And did what she had to do to get support for her daughters. And she did very well. She ended up um, having a very good life. She started with nothing. She ended up having probably the best Vietnamese restaurant in Marseille. She bought herself an apartment, etc. I mean, I, I have to admire her capacities to, to survive. She was very, very good. She didn't speak French well, but she knew how to count, <laughs> and she was able to have a good good life.
2: If you can yes. count, math yes. is the universal language, you can survive. Now, let's start getting into synchronicities, because this is fascinating. We've discussed this topic for many, many years, but in your book, you mention a significant moment when you lost a precious item and, and found it in an unexpected place, which you took as a sign that you're not alone and that... We have guides watching over us. Can you share yes. more about this experience? How did this event reinforce your belief in guides and their presence in our lives?
3: Um, I lost an item. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to see what it was. Oh, well, in life there are so many things. I, I will talk in general. I don't remember exactly that the item I lost. Um, there are so many things that happen um, in life. We are yes, we are never alone. That's my mantra. Actually, we're never alone. We uh, always have guides or angels, and I say spirit guides. That's general. It could be ancestors. It could be um, um, sense. It could be friends who have who died, um, or it could be simply people you don't know, but they're there to help you. And um, no matter what you do, you get signs on a daily basis, except you're not able to see them. And signs are very varied. Uh, if you expect to receive a sign a certain way, it probably will not happen it can come via the ears, you hear a sound, or via the eyes, or maybe you know something. You don't know how you know, but you know something, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you you have you have those uh, uh, psychic senses. Uh, you can also, for instance, uh, sometimes. Um, you have a taste in your mouth like a cake or the smell of a cake. And that might take you back to when you would visit your grandmother and she would bake that cake, for instance. So in a case like that, I would consider that that ancestor is probably nearby. It's a sign maybe that, uh, here, I'm I'm here to help. Um, So, um,
2: By the way, just to refresh your memory, I'm referring to the lost cat. And also the missing credit card machine.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The cat. Oh, the cat. Yes. Oh my god, this it had come through dreams, obviously, uh, as well. So yes, I had uh, a cat that disappeared for three days, and I I went all around the neighborhood. I put posters. Nothing was showing up. No, no, no phone call. Nothing. Then I had a dream. After three days, I had a dream and I saw my cat in a cellar, dark cellar. But the weird thing is that there was a fireplace in the cellar, <laughs> a fireplace in a cellar that I never have seen that before. So that was very odd. The next day, um, normally I would go to the little market that we had not far from a home uh, in the morning, but that day I said, no, oh, I'll go later. So I went that afternoon. And as I entered, I heard a woman talk to the manager and say, I hear it. It's behind the door. It's been there for at least three days. You have to do something about it. And the manager said, I don't have the time right now. So the woman left. And I said, what do I do? Oh, so I ran after her. And I said, I'm sorry, but what were you talking about? And she said, I hear a cat behind a door. And it's in the building that this man is renovating right now to create another store. So, um, so you, you have constructions uh, within the building, but nobody was there. The 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 work had stopped for a few days. So she took me to that. Uh, it was very close by, and there was a little. Um, I could put my hand underneath the, the door. There was enough space for me to slide my hand. And right away, I felt a little head in my hand. I knew it was my cat. She was very small in, in size, even as an adult cat. And um, so I went back to the store, asked the owner to please open open the, the door because it's my cat and it's been lost for three days. And so he called um, his nephew, who had a key, and when the nephew arrived, I went with him, of course, we opened the door, and uh, the cat saw the young man, and she ran away to the back of the store. So we followed her, and there was a stairwell, a steep stairwell going down. There was no electricity. So the young man had a cell phone with him, turned it on, went downstairs, and there was my cat and a fireplace. How do you explain that? <laughs> you know, so so the only thing I can figure out is that because we are all interconnected. But that's a perfect example. Through a dream, my cat or a guide alerted me of what was coming up the next day, and obviously I was. Uh, Pushed outside of my door of my house to go to the store at a certain time. So I would arrive at the precise moment when I could hear what was being said. (laughs) I mean, it, it was a matter of maybe a half a minute. I would have missed the conversation. So how about that? So that's a perfect, you know, that was a sign synchronicity, uh, Things you can't explain sometimes, but it's fantastic when it happens.
2: Do you and think- yes,
3: there was also an, um, uh, a credit card machine, you know, the, the, the old ones. Um, I, I worked as a fashion and image consultant in an academy at that time, and uh, we could not find a machine. And that night, I had a dream. And it was way on top of a very tall shelving unit where I couldn't see unless I climbed on on a ladder. And that's where I saw it in my dream. So the next day, I told the owner, I said, well, I know it sounds weird, but I think it's way on top here. I saw it in my dream. And it was right there. How do you explain that? I never have been up there. I mean, I needed a ladder to go there. How, how did it go up there? I don't know. And so forth and so forth. I mean, there are so many uh instances like that that we can't explain, or something else that might happen to people and they don't realize they saw a guide or a guide came to them in human form. I had that happen several times and it's in the book. Uh, and for me. I would say that most of the time, it's an old man, but very spry, tall, slender, and very dapper, always dressed in dark. Once in a while, in clothing that makes me think of uh, uh, the traditional old man, well-to-do from South America, you know, linen suit, white suit, and um, white hat. I've seen that a few times as well. So, so I need something, or I'm in danger, or something is happening, and then poof, somebody pops out and comes to my rescue, or comes uh, to make me realize or reinforce something I just learned. Um, it's it's a uh, very strange, but it happened so many times. One time it was in Venice, for instance, and. Uh, Um, I love to walk all around. And one time I was near the arsenal in Venice and it's not the most secure place, but it was daylight. I didn't see anything dangerous. So I was walking, um, looking around, and suddenly I felt somebody touch my elbow very nice and very uh, gently. Looked, it was an older man in, in black. And he was telling me it's not safe for a woman to be here. So it took, this time he took my elbow and forcefully pushed me, I mean, away. So we would go back towards the center of Venice, which is St. Marco Square. And so we walked and um, I tried to engage in a conversation with him, uh, but he was not, he was very reluctant to speak, although he had spoken in English to me at first, I could understand him. Um, Maybe he spoke in Italian, I forgot, but anyway, um, it it was very strange. So anyway, we arrived near St. Marco, and I was ready to say thank you to him. I looked, and he was nowhere to be seen. (laughs) And I just wanted to say thank you, but where where is he gone? So that happened. That happened quite, quite often. It happened actually to my husband, Uh, who was in trouble at an ATM machine, were in Paris, and two thugs went towards him. Um, One pushed him very, very strongly, so it made him turn away from the machine, but he had already put his card inside. So he kept his hand, one hand, uh, on the card, and it was getting real bad. I mean, um, but a young man appeared. Very calmly, he told the guys, he said, "Um, what are you doing? You have to go, otherwise I call the police. And they left. And he told my husband, he said, do you have your card? Everything is okay, just check. So my husband was checking. While he was checking, that man moved away. And there was another street um, very close by that he could turn into. So, my husband looked as he was turning into that street. So, he ran after him. That was not very far. That was maybe 20 feet away. And uh, there was nobody in the street.
2: <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. But, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many dreams I've had ever since I was a child that gave mm-hmm. me answers. And I used to question it Am I going crazy? But, in your perspective, what or who do you believe is providing these answers or guidance in your dreams?
3: Well, um, I would say my guides. My guides are there, uh, providing it's one of the signs, you know, the guides are there providing what I need. I mean, I I believe very much in, into that, because otherwise it's difficult to, to explain. But for me, it's it's very simple. And sometimes what I do before going to bed or as I'm going to bed, I ask a question like like I did uh, for the uh, stories of my childhood. Um, I would ask a very specific question and say, I would like very much an answer uh, throughout the night, maybe send it in a dream. And oftentimes it would happen. So I communicate with them beforehand. And oftentimes, yeah, it happens through a dream.
2: I remember... Another guest that we've had on the program, he passed away last year, but I remember him saying, it's in the way that you ask. You have to effectively ask. Not all the time will you get the answer, so you have to ask the right way. And you mentioned in your book that synchronicity seems to happen to some people, but not to others. Why is that?
3: Well, um, it does happen to people, but many people are not able to see the signs, recognize the signs, interpret them, and use them. Why? There are many reasons. That's in part three of my book where I give all the reasons why we don't see the sign, we don't don't feel that we're getting any synchronicities. Fear, anger, hatred, all these very negative uh, feelings that we may have, depression, of course, put like a a gray, very thick, gray cloud around you. So when you're surrounded by that, you can't see light. You can't see anything. There might also be some other reasons. You may see the signs, but ego will play and say, "Eh, no, 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 I can't do that. you know, you, you just dismiss it, or um, you can also um, dismiss it because it's not convenient. So you just tally and say, no, that's not very convenient. Instead of thinking, well, that might be an answer to what I'm looking for, it's not very convenient now, but how could I work with that? You see, so there are so many different ways of working with the guides. Uh, But many people don't bother with that. Another thing that might block people is beliefs. People have very strong religious beliefs, and some of these beliefs might go against what I believe, you know, guides, etc., because they only believe in one God. And I'm not criticizing anybody. The main thing is that people feel uh, happy about the way they go through life. If they do that, and it's yeah a religion, I don't care which one. Then I'm happy for them. They should continue. But what I'm saying here is sometimes relig- religious belief will make your way of seeing, thinking a little bit narrower. And then if a sign appears that is, um, you don't feel that it fits. Um, your way of thinking, then you won't do it. I mean, there are many people like that. So that's why many people um, say, oh, it never happens to me. Other people have a lot of luck. um, But no, I never see anything like that. So I explain that in my book, the last part. And then I give exercises to reopen all the channels. And all the exercises are very simple, Uh, because I'm a simple person, I don't like things that are complicated. You have to pray to this and that. uh, I like things that are very organic, very natural, like take a walk. Take a walk in the forest. But how? Well, you don't take a walk by thinking about what you're going to eat tonight, but be in the forest, listen, see, feel. You know, you feel the air on your on your on your skin. You you can hear maybe there is a brook or, or a river close by, you hear the water, um, you the the, the leaves are uh, you know the, the sound of the leaves if there is a little bit of wind, birds, etc. And as you do that, just marvel with uh, with your surrounding. And that brings you to another level. It elevates your um, your energy. It gives a better level. It doesn't. It unblocks you in many ways. It gives solace to your soul. <laughs> you know, instead of being worried or thinking all the time about doing, 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 doing. Just so that's one. But there are a lot of other ways, and I talk about that in a, in the a book. People can choose what they want. I give one, for instance, that is, I was a dancer. So for me, it's not complicated, but you don't have to be a dancer to move. And especially if nobody is watching, you can put music on and move, but you can also go outside. And I'm teaching that to my uh, granddaughter right now. Listen to the birds, listen to the wind, the rustling of of the leaves, if you're by the sea, you listen to the ocean, etc. And you move. What does it make you do? You might want to move, and and I tell people to start seated, and then suddenly you might feel a hand wants to move, and the arm, and the arm wants to lift the rest of your body, and suddenly you're making steps, etc. Because this is something, well. We we are human. We have a body, and it's good to use our body at the same time in a very uh, nice way. And that's that's a way to to play with 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 what we have. Actually, it's nice to feel uh, feel self move. So that's another one. But there are so many different ways, um, and it doesn't cost any money. It's just a matter of deciding I want to change I want to um, maybe look at this look at that maybe get better in this area etc
2: so obviously is- I'm not I don't mean to interject I'm just thinking that I'm not an expert in the field but I'm willing to bet Lillian that most people have guides around them but they either don't seem to be receptive to them they ignore them. Uh, or they're not communicating properly to get the information. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to start picking on some winks from above on your book. For example, The Light in the 13th Century Tower. Mm, tell oh me God. about that story.
3: Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> when I when I went to the hospital, um, well, my, my later health scare that I had, uh, which allowed me to write this book, because <laughs> I was stuck in the hospital for one month. And synchronicity started very soon after I made my decision to go back to Europe. And suddenly I found the right doctor who created a surgery that had never been done. I asked for a single room because I knew I would be by myself, I mean, in the hospital for quite a few weeks. Uh, they not only gave me a room by myself, they gave me the, the best room in the hospital. With a, it's like a tower. Um, So with a a huge uh, bay window, with a view on the old Brussels, the old town, including a 12th century uh, tower that was part of the wall in the old old times. So I had view from my bed. Even when I lay down, I could see the tower. And because I had to sleep with a tube going through my nose, into my stomach, and hooked to a pouch for one month. I had to do that because I couldn't eat. Um, It was not very comfortable at night, so I would wake up sometimes, several times during the night. And opening my eyes, I would look at the tower, and I'm talking about midnight, two, three in the morning. There were nights, at least one and then I would wake up maybe an hour later. It was in another window. And I'm, um, well, either they have security lights or they have a guardian. It's a museum now. So I thought maybe they have a guardian. I talked to the nurses, doctors. Nobody knew about anything like that, you know, especially lights at night. They said, no, it's empty at night. So when I left the hospital, my first thing was to go to that tower and ask. and. Um, I asked a couple of people and the second person said uh, you have to talk to uh, the manager about that because I was asking is it normal that there is light is somebody working here at night etc and synchronicity the manager was uh, just crossing the room (laughs) to go to the elevator how about that and um, so she came to talk with me and I explained to her what I saw at night, and um, she said, "No, no, no, but nobody is in the building, and people come in the morning, but um, around eight thirty or nine to clean. But seven o'clock, everybody is gone." And I said, "But I have pictures to prove that I saw I saw lights at night." Said, oh, I don't want to see it. Maybe it goes, maybe ghosts. And she ran away. And that told me that. There is something weird. <laughs> because she just when I saw her pictures, she just did not want to see them. She didn't want to discuss. So that was really a very, very interesting for me because I believe that my guides were there to entertain me at night. It was not scary. I never felt scared. It was just funny. It was just funny. So yeah.
2: So that you were not bored.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know, I wake up and, oh, where's the light? Oh, another light, <laughs> etc. And two months later, I came back um, to see my doctor. And uh, because I was there for a few days, I said, I'm going to Paris today because it's only an hour and 20 minutes from Brussels. So with my husband, we got up really early to catch a first train. So we'd spend the whole day over there. And around 6.30 in the morning, we're passing in front of that tower. And jokingly, I told my husband, I wonder if the guides are going to be here. And as we pass right below the, the, the tower, I looked up. It was fully lit on top. Nowhere else, just on top. And I knew nobody was there. <laughs> so how do you explain that?
2: <laughs> you can't. here's another one. You were... You had a long walk through the snow in the Bavarian mountains and then you stop at a store you were in a hurry and oh, as yeah. soon as you reach the long line of people waiting to go through the the, the, the the only available cash register then a store employee walked towards you and pointed to you to go to the other unmanned cash register tell me what happened there
3: well yes so I thought oh that's nice they're opening another cash register so I was paying somebody was was uh right behind me up maybe two, three people. And then I was done. She closed the cash register and left. I was, huh? <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> I mean, there were other people. <laughs> and the line was as long. She just left. She didn't say anything. She just left. And I was, what's going on here?
2: <laughs> now, what happened with the Uber ride?
3: Oh, my God. This is called actually channeling. And I had people channel to me, but I was, I don't remember channeling for somebody else. And I was in a, in a taxi going to the to the to the airport because I was flying back to the US. So I usually go the day before, so I spend the night um, near the airport. That way, no panic in the morning <laughs> for my long flight. So anyway, um, I had uh, Uber picking me up, and it was a young man, and we started talking, pleasant, and then it turned into something much darker. He was very, very angry at his former go- uh, girlfriend, but so angry he wanted to do something bad to her. And I, t- I remember telling him, I said, well, Remember, you do that and you hurt yourself in the process. You know, the best is to forget or to forgive, but don't do something bad. You will regret it on the long run. And I don't remember saying anything else. Then I heard his voice, we we have arrived. That was about an hour later. And he was teary-eyed and very emotional. And he said, thank you so much for speaking with me, um, I will follow what you said, or uh, something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, was huh? What did I say? I mean, I re- honestly, I fell asleep.
2: Were you I- like a Edgar Casey, giving him advice while you were semi-asleep?
3: Yes, but that happens. You see, when you channel for somebody, and I had people channel to me, they don't remember a thing afterwards. They don't remember a thing. So um, it goes through you. So it's a guide, but but it uses your voice and your body. And that young man needed some help, which obviously I could not help him except with words. So that happens. I still have no clue what I said. You don't (laughs) don't
2: remember what you said to him?
3: No, I don't remember a thing. I fell asleep and it was like a deep sleep. And then... It felt, when he said, we have arrived, it felt like a, a minute or two later. And I said, oh, my God, it's it was at least an hour later.
2: Uh, he cried and, and wanted a hug from well, me. Well, he
3: was teary-eyed, and he even asked me, which was very surprising because this young man was from uh, Maghreban, which is a uh, North African origin. It was very obvious. He asked if he could hug me. Yeah. Which was very, very out of character for a young man from this type of culture. So, of course, I said yes. I, I gave him a big hug because he needed it. But it was, it was so strange to, to do that, especially when you don't remember a word that you said.
2: Maybe you save his ex girlfriend's life.
3: I don't know, but obviously it was something that was needed. Um, we arrived, he got out of the taxi, I mean, uh, the Uber, got my suitcase, put it by the, uh, give it to the portman, in, uh, you know, the, the baggage handler. And he was standing there and, and he was so emotional and thanking me profusely and saying, can I give you a hug? You're <laughs> so out of character compared to the young man I had seen when I, at the very beginning of the ride. So that's fantastic, you know. I was, oh my God. <laughs> I just wish I would know what I said. You
2: know? And you were uh, you were another story. You were meditating at one point and your husband startled you. What happened?
3: Oh God. Yes. Yeah, and the and the, the guides can be very funny. And this is why wings from above again, that that that, that term, because they, they are funny. Uh they like to joke. Yes. Um, it might have been. 4.30, maybe 5 in the morning. I was still in the process of writing, but I write in the dark. In the, in the dark, I don't turn on the light. I have a technique where I put my thumb and I move my thumb. So I write on a small notebook, and the next day I can read maybe the final five line or six lines on a page, but that's enough to give me, if I have 10 pages altogether, it might give me 500 words when I type, you see? So it's very good to do it that way. I've, I developed that technique a while back. So anyway, and it was just a time when I was listening and not moving my hand, apparently. So he thought maybe I was just awake because he could see my, my eyes. Or I, he felt that I was awake. So he tapped my knees very uh, carefully and said, do you want some coffee? But because I was in an alternate state, that tapped my knee, oh, my God, brought me down so fast. I screamed and um, I started shaking and, and uh, screaming was it's it's uh, when you are in an alternate state, you have to come back slowly because, you know, if it's too abrupt, it's it could even be dangerous. So anyway, um and then finally, I came down. My heart rate went down, and I was able to start writing again. That's when I heard my guides, because I heard several voices, but one in particular said, eh, "It was a bit dramatic, wasn't it?" <laughs> something like that. T T apostrophe W A S. It's not something I would use myself, but <laughs> that's. Wasn't, what I well, that
2: was a quick takeoff.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that was but that was too funny. At first, I was angry. I said, "Oh my god!" Because I was still, you know, scared. I was still. Oh, it it took my breath, you know, the breath out of me. <laughs> it's later on I laugh, and now I think of it and it makes me laugh or, or smile because it was very very funny. Sometimes they have a way to say things, and again, I don't hear. The voice with my physical sense, its I know that it was said. I could hear it with my psychic um, earring, I mean ears. So it was a bit dramatic, wasn't it? And then the sneakering, sneakering, I could hear several people sneaker. <laughs> I was oh, God, <laughs> this is terrible. Here I am. <laughs> no sympathy.
2: <laughs> That's incredible. We have to take our one and only break, but when we come back, I really want to focus on unlocking the secrets of serendipity because a lot of people think, "Oh, this doesn't happen to me. I don't know how to do it." And I want you to share some tips or practices that can help really help people become more aware of a and be receptive to these synchronicities in their own lives. When we come back, and
3: I have, I have with the book, there is a free download, download, down. Loadable workbook it has 15 pages it follows the whole book but i ask questions on certain page so people can jot down whatever comes to mind my goal is at the end of the reading people can look at their uh, workbook and say oh i had a lot of those too you know so i want them to write a few words to take them back to uh, synchronicities or whatever they had in their life that, uh, that that sticks out, really. And everybody has at least one, but sometimes so many stories to tell. Because once you discover one, you discover more, and suddenly you have many, many coming to mind. Uh, so yeah, there, and it's uh, it's downloadable, um, just uh, go to the site, to, to my website, and you can download it from there.
2: Wonderful. How can people buy Winx from Above?
3: Uh, on Amazon. it's a, uh, And it's available um, as an audiobook. It's uh, available uh, on Kindle and it's available as a paperback.
2: And your website is winksfromabove.com, right?
3: That's right. In, in, Winxfromabove in one word, dot com. Wonderful. And then uh, on the internet, it's, uh, I mean, uh, Amazon, it's Lilian Fortner and then Winks from above the title of the book and then it will take them straight to uh, well to the site, to the book Well,
2: one more hour to come with Lillianne Fortner. We're going to get deeper into this. I love all these stories that you include from the book M, the foundations, your early childhood and how you're here now and you would not change anything for the world Mm-mm. More of this when we come back This is Mel Hasslerick and you are listening to Very Veritas don't go anywhere.
1: Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today with no credit card required.
4: My liberty on oh my mind Happiness coming and going I watch you look up me Watch my fever going on Just where I am But how many corners do I have to turn? How many times? I'm steady, naked, smiling, I feel no disgrace with who I am. Happiness coming and going, I watch you look at me, watch my feet are growing, I know just who I am. And how many corners do I have to turn? How many times do I have to i